This is the Skate Podcast on WEEI.com. Bobby Orr, behind the net to Sanderson. Orr! Bobby Orr! Orr! For the first time in 39 years, the Boston Bruins have won the Stanley Cup. Talking Bruins and NHL. Sure, old-time hockey. Like it is sure. With writer and producer Brian DeFelice. Brian DeFelice is an emerging talent. Bridget Prue. Yeah. He's a little bit on the hot seat. Burn him! And WEEI.com Bruins writer Scott McLaughlin. Oh, hey, Scott! Lace him up for some bees talk right now. I'm a damn dog! It's the Skate Pod on WEEI. Welcome into episode 81 of the Skate Podcast. I'm Brian D. Felice, joined by Bridget Prue and Scott McLaughlin. we got a fantastic slate of hockey tonight, guys, between... Um, Carolina, Florida, Vegas, the Jack Eichel debut against Colorado, and of course, the uh, the best for last, which is Team USA Women's versus Team Canada Women's for the gold medal. We'll get into those, but first of all, how you guys doing today? The Bruins have played about three games now without Marshan and Bergeron, so just your quick thoughts on um, you know, how they've done so far through th- through three games. Yeah, well, first game was a total train wreck. That was the six nothing loss to Carolina. Uh, which, look, they probably were going to lose to Carolina no matter what without those two in the lineup. But that was a pretty embarrassing effort, and I think everyone knew it. I think they all acknowledged it afterwards. Uh, And, you know, it was concerning because they've had a few of those games now recently. There was the other Carolina game just, you know, a month before. There was the Dallas game where they no-showed just before uh, or, you know, a few days before the All-Star break. So, uh, to have efforts like that kind of, you know, bunch up where you have three in a one-month span is its not good. You can't be doing that, you know, once a week. I think it's uh, less concerning, though, the fact that you're without Marshawn and Bergeron for that one. Like, that's more concerning if you have the full roster and everything's like, you're not juggling the lines and everything. So that one wasn't as concerning to me as some of the ones earlier in the year, especially the first one against Carolina. I think everybody went into that game knowing there was like a 90% chance it was going to be a decent size loss, like three or more goals um, lost. So I didn't find that as concerning. Obviously, after that, the Bruins play Ottawa. That's a team they should be in. They handled. Uh, And then that game against the Rangers, there's a lot to talk about for that. But I I mean, besides it being entertaining, uh, I really, one of my main takeaways was that Coyle just looks healthy and he just his playing right now some of the best hockey he's played especially since last season we didn't get to see him play healthy I like how he's been playing and I liked how he played with Smith again like they didn't miss a beat and Frederick was a good compliment as well yeah so so I would just say I actually did find that Carolina game concerning not to you know we're not gonna linger on that too long but you have a lot of guys who have a great opportunity to play up in the lineup, you know, guys coming into the lineup who weren't previously playing. Like you had guys who had something to prove and had a, ch- you know, good opportunity in front of themselves to make an impact and make a good impression on, on the coaches and their teammates. And like, no one did like no one other than McAvoy who did bring the physicality. But again, that's someone, you know, you expect that from McAvoy every night anyways. And he brings it almost every night anyways. So yeah, like, he stepped up to fight, and, and yeah, well, like, like he, he had to the, take a lot of time when Grizzlick went down. Yeah, like he would be the last one who should have had something to prove and, you know, been the one running around doing all that stuff. Like, 
where where are the other guys doing that? But to your point, they they have responded well since, I think. You know, the win over Ottawa, yeah, it was a hard fought win. But again, when you're without two of your best players, I think just about everyone's gonna be have to be hard fought. Like no, nothing's really gonna come easy. So that was a good game. It was a good response. And then the Rangers game, they end up getting a point and you know, I know they had a, a one nothing lead in the third period that they end up blowing, but I think that I think that was a good point. Like I think they went toe to toe. It wasn't like they got dominated and you know barely hung on for a point. It was that was a pretty evenly played game, and you know, and they kept it kept up with the Rangers, who are a playoff team. I think maybe slightly overrated, it, just in the sense that like I I don't love the rest of that team as much as I love Igor Shosturkin. I think he's a you know, a huge reason that they are where they are. He bails them out on an awful lot of nights. Um, but nonetheless, it was a good game from the Bruins. Like, they they went toe-to-toe. Swayman played great again. Two two straight really good games for him, uh, which has been great to see because that first game back against Pittsburgh, that first game after the All-Star break, he wasn't great. So, you know, now he's starting to string it together. So, Encouraging signs since the Carolina game, and now you get Bergeron back for Thursday night against the Islanders. I definitely thought that uh, last last game against the Rangers, uh, I agree with what you said, Scott, but that wasn't one of those games where um, Shesterkin, uh, you know, willed them to victory. I think it, I think they peppered the Bruins for most of the game. That said, um, he you know obviously was was there when need be, and pretty pretty bizarre. Um, situation at the end of uh was it overtime it was overtime. Yeah. no yeah it was overtime when yeah it was you know, 40 seconds left in overtime and they take him out for the concussion spotter he goes back in for the shootout so it was it was strange by the way scott can you explain that a little more what's the time period like isn't there a certain amount of time that there that someone who gets called off for the for a concussion spotting has to sit out for i mean that's what i always thought that there's so like, an amount of time you have to sit in the dark room and like at least get looked at. So there isn't, there isn't a defined period of time. Like, you know, it doesn't say anywhere in the rule book, like you have to sit there 15 minutes, but you do have to undergo a, or at least you're supposed to undergo a baseline concussion test. And those can take, you know, up to 15 to 20 minutes. So I, you know, I clocked it. He missed four minutes of real time. Uh, you know, from he gets pulled with 40 seconds left. Uh, there is a timeout called in there, which, you know, I don't know if that that was intentional in Galan's spot. He said he was just trying to set up a face-off play, but uh, worked out quite well in his favor to buy a little more time there. Yeah, and then the break before the shootout, so it ends up being four minutes total, and he's back. Um, I don't know. Shosturkin said after the game that he, like, answered a questionnaire, which – to me, sounds like filling out a piece of paper, but I think he he probably meant like answering questions. I I would assume. Do you want to go back in the game? Yes. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Exactly. So I don't know. I would say four minutes to pass a baseline concussion test seems awfully fast. Um, have either of you guys ever taken them? Have you I've guys not. Ever taken? I've taken. No, I, I had to take one in high school um, for sports. Brian, you probably did too. Yeah, yeah, I did. Um, I wasn't concussed. They're stupid. The, the, I, I wasn't concussed. The results probably said that I was, but I wasn't concussed. Uh, no, well, what people do is they they like do really bad on it the first time 
on it's purpose. Tough. Like, well, no, they're, 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 they are difficult, though. They are. They're, yeah, they aren't that easy, but, like, if you want to, like, fudge it when you actually have a concussion, you yeah. you don't do it well the first time. Well, and, I don't, and you, you yeah. answer slow the first time to these questions that kind of come at yeah. you quickly, um, and then you know you maybe get away with it well the one the ones the ones i took you know when i was younger was obviously like a very detailed computer concussion i don't know exactly what they do for these guys in the locker rooms i don't know if it's how many fingers we're holding up beyond that but um regardless so i just want to jump back real quick because i too was um you know i haven't been i haven't watched many bruins games lately and, and felt good about them after the game um ottawa is one of them and you can sit there and say well they should have beat ottawa and yeah, they should have. Uh, the Bruins were down two of their best. They were down two of their best. Uh, Batheson was out. Um, Morris was out. Oh, I'm sorry, not Morris. Norris was out. Josh Norris was out. Um, but I'd be saying it would be that much worse, though, if they lost to them, right? So they took care of business. Great. Um, the Carolina game, hated that game uh, for obvious reasons. Um, like, again, just because you're down a couple of key guys doesn't mean your effort can't be there. And nobody's expecting them to win that game, but nobody's, you know, you, you can't expect them to lose 6 nothing, especially after you got pounced by them 7-1 on home ice. The Bruins have been outscored 11-1 by the Hurricanes. Uh, or uh, No, more than that. No, uh, no yeah, 13-1. 13-1. It's they, now... they, they, they lost 6-0 six, six and 7-1. It's now sixteen to one on the season. Right, but thirteen to one at the Garden. Thirteen to one at the Garden. The last two games in Boston. That's that. That's that's putrid. I don't have to say that. Um, Furthermore, dating back, you know, you had Anaheim in Boston. Didn't like their game then. Didn't like their game in Dallas. Didn't like their game in Arizona, despite the fact that they won. Didn't like their game the second half of Colorado. Didn't like their game a lot against Pittsburgh. Um, You know, so I, I I. the the Bruins are in a really good place. Um, you know, the first three weeks of January, they were finding an identity. They they were getting scoring and contributions from everywhere, and they've just kind of lost that again. And now you lose it, and Bergeron and Marchand, you're without. And I actually, I like the play of Charlie Coyle. I like the play of the fourth line. I like the play of uh, Trent Fredericks. Craig Smith is just can't buy a goal. If I had to say, I, I was he just, the most like expected goals on the team. If we're looking at uh, uh, Scotty's favorite natural stat Bridget, trick, Bridget. like this, this guy is supposed to have so many more goals than he than he has. I you, you know how I feel about those statistics. I don't want to hear anything. I don't want to hear it. <laughs> I don't want to hear it. The ex- expected goals for this, expected goals for that. It means nothing to me. But I want to I want to get your guys' opinion on. Um, on two guys who really should be stepping up in a, in a big way, and there's been shifts that they have, but for the most part, I have not loved uh, what I've seen out of Pashnak and Hall um, the last three games. I thought they were okay in Ottawa. You should be okay in Ottawa. I didn't like their game all that much in New York. Too pa- too um, too 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 fancy, too cute. And I didn't even think they showed up against Carolina. So do you guys think it's fair to expect more from them? You talk about guys wanting to step up in the absence of Bergeron and Marchand. Yeah, so I think that this is a line that has had some good starts, but they just don't play a full 60 minutes. So they had, after the coil goal in the game against the Rangers, they follow that goal with a really good shift. They, the Bruins in general have had some really good first periods recently, and then things fall off. They don't play the full 60 minutes just in general as, as a full team. But 
you're right about the being too cute. And that's something like they, they've known that they have to fix as a line. They've known that this has been a problem for a while. Cassie talks about it. Hall will say it after the game. Like Pasternak will say, oh, you know, Hall needs to shoot more and vice versa. Cassidy will say, you know, you just shoot more. It's, it's just trying to be too fancy with it. And they've known that that's the, that's the fix. And, you know, they play really fast. They have that advantage on teams, but they just haven't been uh, putting shots on net the way that Cassie wants them to. And I think even the way that they've talked about doing. Yeah. And, you know, I would say like specifically shooting for with purpose too. like look at some of the goals that the Bruins other lines are scoring recently. And it's it's off rebounds. It's throwing pucks to the net. It's, you know, aiming for the pad, uh, just getting to the net and. I feel like with Hall and Pasternak, I mean, probably Pasternak in particular recently, it's like they're trying to turn everything into a, a grade-A chance, you know, like individually turn into a grade-A chance or try to go for the snipe or like the great move or something. And it's like, you know, you don't always have to try to make a fancy move around the defender. Like, it's okay to, you know, take make a quick move to the outside and try to, throw one off the pads and, you know, maybe Hall's coming down the other wing looking for it. Um, so I think that's like where the, the two cutes coming into play where it's like, they're, you know, it's like, they feel like, Hey, well, we're more skilled than those other guys. So we can, you know, we can do other stuff. And it's like, yeah, you can obviously. And you don't want to like, you don't want to tell, tell them like, you know, never try to do anything, but at the same time, like it's, it's okay to just, shoot for a rebound from time to time like yeah that's just how their career has been though like on separate teams those guys are so individually talented that they have been that guy on the line so now you have two guys on the same line that both know that they can they can be making skilled plays but that and they both know that about each other so that's what kind of throws that line off just a little bit the problem is as well, and this is not this is not a, a February issue. This is an April and 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 uh, in May issue for me. Is that I'm seeing, and again we bring we bring up these points because we expect so much of them, and we also acknowledge that how much they've. I mean, how much of the offense they've been this year, right? So it's not like we're we're shitting on them and saying that you know they're not producing. It's not that. I watch them, and you know, I just, I David Pashnak, he's getting, he's he's too easily pushed off the puck, and he's no longer eighteen, nineteen years old, and you know, a buck sixty soaking wet. Like he's put on the muscle, he's put on the weight, he he has the age, he has the experience, um, and you know, far too often I just see him get, I I, I see him getting pushed around too much uh, in the corners and uh, in front of the net. And same with Taylor Hall. And as, as talented as they are, if you're going to be that easy to, to defend when it comes to, you know, being pushed off pucks in February, well, how are you going to fare, you know, in the playoffs, in, 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 a, in a playoff run when, when people are really keying on you and hacking you and whacking you and you got some big boys on the other team's defense? So, like, my, my, my fear with, with the Bruins having Pashnak and Hall and Hall together because – because of the nature of what the Bruins need to upgrade this team, it's like if they want that big fish, it's either going to be the two center or the guy in the back end. People talk about, well, what's the lesser of two evils? Maybe you go out and get that big fish in the back end to the best of your abilities, and you, and you, and you live with Hala as a 2C. And I'm not saying I 
hate that idea, but it's games like the Rangers game and, and stretches like this where you you can't have too much speed and and not enough grit and and and, and that that can be a, a mindset that Pashnak and Hall take on. Um, I just don't want that line to be too easy to get pushed off pucks, and if that's the case, then your skill means nothing. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I agree. And, you know, it's also worth pointing out, like, we're talking about, what, three games with Pasternak, you know, coming on the heels of whatever it was, like 16 goals in 16 games. So yep. I don't want to get, like, too down on him. Um, but, yeah, it hasn't been a great couple of games. And, you know, like you said, with – Marshan Bergeron, oh, those those are the guys you would have expected to to really step up, and and they haven't. Um, yeah, that's your new first line. Yeah, like every every line just got pushed up, and you know it it's been enough to get what three points in in three games, but it's not enough to sustain. And and obviously, it's not something we have to worry about them sustaining because first of all, Bergeron practice and likely to be back like more than likely to be back uh, for the Islanders game. And Marshawn is appealing his suspension. So he wants to be back for the Islanders game. I'm not sure the timeline on that, Scott. Maybe No, he won't be. If anything, he'll get a game knocked off. He definitely won't be back for the Islanders game. Yeah. Uh, I I mean, personally, I don't think he's going to get anything knocked off. But if he does, it'll be a a game. I don't either. Obviously, the Bruins organization, Bergeron, Marshawn have talked about you know, their feelings about it, that they think it should have only been a few games suspension, but I don't think he's back for the Islanders game. So then that means you're shuffling the lines again, even more trying to find, you know, something to do with Bergeron, who you're going to put him with on the wings. And well, it's, it's going to be Hall and Pasternak. So that maybe that's what gets those guys going. You know, you upgrade the center position from Hall to Bergeron, uh, you know, because I think that's kind of, it's why I kind of still feel like second line center is the priority for me because Halla Halla can be a nice complimentary piece when Hall and Pasternak are playing well and doing their thing, but he's not he's not a piece of that line that can like lift it up if Hall and Pasternak are a little bit off. Like you know, but I mean, like he's not gonna he like he can't really pick up the slack for those guys. He can compliment them when they're going well. But, you know, so like now you get Bergeron there. It's like, okay, now Bergeron can make things happen on his own and, like, bring Hall and Pasternak along with him if needed. Um, that's only until Marshawn comes back. Right, yeah. It's so three, that, that three doesn't games. fix the problem for the rest of the season. No, but it can get him going is what he's saying now. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. For sure, it can get him going while they have the next three games to work with Bergeron. But then but then Hall goes back in there. Yeah, and, and you, you know, you hope that they find what – what they've had, which, you know, look, I mean, they had a really good month together, so that's not nothing. Um, but it's, you know, I just, I still think that's a position where you're ultimately going to need an upgrade. Um, we've also seen Halla dropped off that line, and I'm not even talking about for Bergeron, but we've seen Halla dropped off that line twice in like the last few weeks. Once it was for no sick for like a period. And then late in the Carolina game, they moved Stanika up to give him a chance there. And, you know, I know really no one they're going to put there is going to be David Krejci, but, like, how many times over the last decade did David Krejci get dropped down to the third line? That's just, that's not something you do with a second-line center that you 
really have confidence in, you know, no matter what they say. And like Bruce Cassidy keeps saying the right things when it comes to Hala, you know, saying that they're confident in him and they like how he's been playing. It's like, okay, but you know, when you drop him down to the third line twice in, in a couple of weeks, kind of tells me that, you know, maybe you're not super confident in, in him all the time. No, yeah. And, do, and don't get me wrong. Like, in no way, shape, or form do I believe that Eric Hall is a is is a second line center on a on a, on a you know cup winning team, um, or even even close to that. Um, but it's it's more it's more like, <laughs> but when when their defense is equally not equipped to be a cup winning team, and you, and they only have the assets to really go out and 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 in your words, Scott, get an impact player for one of them. Well, you gotta you gotta decide which one you want to sacrifice, you know. I I use that term you know loosely, but and and that's why you know depends what day it is. I wake up and I'm with you, and other days not in bed, Scott. Sorry about that, but <laughs> I wake up and I'm with you as far as two center, and then other I was days gonna say, we've gotten close since we've been doing this podcast, <laughs> but like let's let's slow it down. <laughs> and uh, and other days I wake up and I and I, and I I think they need to get that defenseman. So I don't really know. Um, and hopefully Don Sweeney does, but we'll see how we'll see how it goes. My my point on on Pasta and Hall, it, it's not that they're not playing, you know. Well, it's not that they're not scoring. I mean, they could have scored against the Rangers, and I still would have, you know, st- you know, I still look at how you're playing without the puck. How how are you how are you how are you on fifty fifty battles? Because those are the things that matter in the playoffs. Like you can you can have a guy sc- score one hundred fifty points in the regular season. Doesn't mean he's going to score at will in the postseason. Like it's a different game, and I I, I just want to see um, Pashnak and Hall as we get later into the season, as you start to get towards the playoffs, and you start to finalize what your roster is. I want to I want to see them add that element to their game because they're going to have to look. It's 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 a big reason why he lost to the Islanders. And let's be honest. I mean, their defense really really caved in on 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 Taylor Hall and David Pashnak and and, and their line mates, and Ice is not. Ice is never free in the NHL, but in the postseason, it's it's even more expensive, and I you got you have to see him. It's you got to see him play a certain way. It's it's uh, you know, David Pasternak. I don't think had his best series against St. Louis back in 2019. He was he was good. He was good. Um, but when play when you when when the competition gets stiffer and bigger and tougher, then I just want to be able to see them. I want to see that they have that game in their arsenal. When they have to use it, and uh, I haven't, you don't see that enough in the regular season for my liking, or maybe anybody's liking. But that doesn't mean that they're not complimenting the team and, and, and producing at a high rate because they are. But it's it's a different it, conversation that I'm talking about. Yeah, it's difficult for them because they are both Holly and Pasternak are players that other teams key on. I mean, Pasternak is someone you can slow down with a little bit of extra physicality, and he's someone that they. You know, you see Poshnok and McAvoy as like the key people that other teams kind of send their pressure onto more than others. So Poshnok has always dealt with that. And I think Hall, he's just, he has to deal with it now, but he's just a little bit more timid than I think he should be playing with the size that he has. Like he's a big guy and, and he has the ability to play like Charlie Coyle where he can kind of box guys out. And Charlie Call wins a lot of battles on the boards and, and puck battles, and just by using his body position, I think Hall could could play like that as well. But he he has that extra step he needs to take in in the in that field. By the way, while I'm, I was just thinking of it, how nice and how how important would it be to actually have a healthy Pasternak in the postseason for once? Like, I almost hesitate to even bring it up, but the last few years you've had 
you know, last year you had the hip, or was that last year that, or two years ago that he had the hip issue? Yeah. One year he was just coming back from COVID. Uh, one there was year a hand, hand issue. Thing. Yeah, like, it just, it always seems like something comes up, but. Pasternak, uh, Carlo, Grizzlick. Yeah. Those are the ones wow. that in the playoffs, you just every once in, not every once in a while, more often than not, you're worried that that something's going to happen with, with those guys again. And especially on the defensive side of things, if you end up with Grizzlick going down and Carlo going down, then you absolutely needed to have fit, filled that need at the trade deadline of the defenseman rather than the center. I know we've been going back and forth on this. It's like a fluid situation with us. It's, and the reason is because they both needs that have to that that are just glaring. So that's the problem. And I feel like what like two or three weeks ago we had convinced ourselves that JT Miller was the solution. And that and then it's like, okay, no. And then Scott brings up the argument last week or two weeks ago about how he changed his mind. Defense no, I didn't change no, Brian changed his no. Oh Brian changed his mind. And then now Brian changed his mind back. I, I, I'm actually. I feel like I'm staying pretty consistent on this. Like I'm still. I'm still at second line center. Well, is your priority? So, so Scott, to that point, and and Bridget, the reason that we keep the reason we keep doing this is because we're trying to assess a hockey team, and, and what their and what their ceiling is, but we won't know that ceiling until we know how this roster shakes out, and 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 the, there are plenty of solutions for them, but there's no. Um, tangible way they can accomplish them because of their assets that they're that they're dealing with so we just have to wait and see so I, i'm at the point now where it's like i don't even want to i can't i can't keep doing it to myself because we'll have to wait till the trade deadline gets closer and closer but but scott like here's here's i want to ask you what, what i've been toggling in my own brain about this and I, I'm, I'm asking scott bridge because he just brought this up like if you're so adam on a two on a 2c which like like i said depending on the day i'm with you but then, then how, then 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 how is their defense going to get to the caliber it needs to be at to win a Stanley Cup? Unless you, unless what you're telling me is there's no chance they win a cup this year, that's fine. Then they don't have a chance. But if if, if you want them to try and win a cup this year, how can their defense get there? Even if you have Miller or Giroux, their defense, and like you said, that you want them to get an impact guy, not another guy. How do they get there? Well. Not to keep harping on him, but a big factor in this is can you get Brandon Carlo to start playing better? Like, I don't know what what the formula needs to be. You know, I know. So, like, I asked Bruce Cassidy about this on Monday, just how he feels about, like, where Carlo's game is. And it was still, like, you know, mostly he's positive on him, but there's times where, you know, it's just makes mistakes basically like it, it was it came across as like we're still confident in him and we think he can work through this and we're going to be patient until it like until he does which you know i guess is kind of what you would have to say because like you're not gonna but it's it, it is telling to me that like there's been no sort of punishment there's been games that his minutes have been a little down but in general like he hasn't been dropped down to the third pairing he obviously hasn't been healthy scratch. So they are giving him a chance to work through it. And I feel like that's, if you're looking for how do you improve your defense without going out and adding a top four defenseman to that caliber, like, to, to, to a like, cup caliber, like that, that's it. it. To me, it's Carlo who has not played like a top four defenseman this season. 
has in the past and needs to for you to have any sort of, sort of chance to make a run. So I look at that as an area where that's a place where there's room for internal improvement. Um, you know, Mike Riley, I think, can be more consistent. I, I'm i on record as liking Mike Riley. There's been times this year that he's struggled or been inconsistent. Uh, and then, you know, you're, the depth guys, you, you figure out whether that's, you know, Cassidy seems to like the four-board Clifton pairing, back in nine, and it, it could be back on Thursday. We'll see if he gets in and where he fits. You know, I, I don't rule out him potentially being an upgrade on the third pairing. Um, you know, we'll have to see. But I think if you solidify your forward core, if at least one of your goalies is playing well and gets hot come playoffs, and your defenseman just cut down on some of these, like, just really kind of foolish mistakes that have happened too often, I think you, you I think you might be okay. Like, I think you can then compete with just about anyone. Uh, um, yeah. Because the their their defensive structure in general is usually good. Like, you know, I know Brian hates the expected goals numbers, but they are still loves them. They're still first in the NHL and in, in fewest expected goals again. So like they're they're not they don't give up a ton of chances in the sense that like they get buried in their own zone and it's just a shooting gallery. But they tend to give up some really some chances that just shouldn't happen because they turn the puck over or they do something dumb. So cut down on that, and then maybe the actual goals against that you're giving up, you know, start to look in line with with those expected goals and the attempts numbers. Two quick thoughts about what you were talking about with the defense. What I understand about Carlo is that he very rarely has practices where he looks bad, but then sometimes in the games, the pressure is, and maybe in the back of his mind, the thought of his injury history, his concussion history is different in a game versus practice. Second thing is they, during practice today, the Bruins defensive pairs were Riley McAvoy, Grizzlet, Carlo, and then Forbert, Vakanine. And so Potentially, um, Vaknin will be playing with Forbert as his pair uh, in the Islanders game. That's what I took out of it. They also had a Sean Clifton as a pair, but I think that they're leaning towards that Forbert Vaknin pair right now. Yeah, I, I think they'll certainly give that a shot because Vaknin was playing well enough to be in the lineup, and Clifton has also struggled recently here. So, totally, totally, totally fine with that change. Um, by the way, also wouldn't rule out Jack O'Shawn as a potential internal improvement. I think he's generally played well. Now it it brings you back to the whole like, you know, how far can you go with two smaller defensemen on your left side if if Grizzly and O'Shawn are both in? To which I say, I don't particularly care if they're good and they're playing well. Like, I don't know that it doesn't bother me unless you're going up against you know, a team that's just going to like crush them on the four check. But, uh, but I don't rule out a Sean potentially being part of this either. Even if he gets sent down here in, you know, the next few days, because there's going to be some, just a numbers game and he can move back and forth without waivers. So, um, but he's played well when he's been in. So just, just to respond to Scott real quick. So first of all, the big, if on Brandon Carlo, I mean that that that's a that's that is a massive that's a skyscraper sized if because 
that's a hypothetical, and we're dealing with what we're watching, what we've seen for more more than a season, by the way. Somebody put out somebody put out numbers, um, a, a, a line graph like a few days ago of his five on five. I don't know if it was his plus minus or whatever whatever the hell it was, but um, he, he basically he's been on the ice for a lot of goals <laughs> compared to the early half of his career, um, the last couple of seasons. So, and what I would say to that, Scott, is when when we went into this this season, we didn't ex- we didn't know he was going to be this bad, and going into this season, we didn't think this decor was good enough. So, if if the answer to the, is that just Brandon Carlo plays better and Mike Riley plays better, this decor this decor they could be playing at their ceilings. This decor still isn't is not up there with the top decors in the league that they'd be going against. I hear what you're saying about. Maybe in regards to traditional like chances against or or goals goals against expected, I I hear that. But what people don't often talk about with defense is the transition game and how how important it is. And and like you kind of touched on it, they need to clean up the turnovers. And you did say that. So you, you, your caveat was if Carlo plays better, if Riley plays better, and if they clean up the mistakes, I hear you. But like having a good strong transition game and leading to offense is also a very important part of a of a of a decor and that's what the Bruins are lacking. It's great that they keep teams to the outside and they're able to limit chances and and generally have low goals for. Although I did tweet out like last week they've given up um they've given up four plus goals I think 13 times this year and eight times they've given up five plus goals in a game. So, like, their defense is, like, and I don't have the numbers in front of me, but they're definitely susceptible to to, to giving up goals. And, that like, so whatever their stats say, like, the eye test and, and, and numbers say that the defense is not, it's, like, it's it's not it's not great. It's, it's I'm sure it's good. It's not great. So if Brandon Carlo plays to his ceiling and Mike Riley plays to his ceiling, I'm sorry, this team still isn't great in transition. Uh, if your name's not Charlie McAvoy, or Matt Grizzlick, or Jack Ashan, who, by the way, has played all four games, whom I like, but he's not in the lineup. You're, you think that Derek Forbert, Brandon Carlo, Connor Clifton, who fucking has been terrible, and insert, who is the other, who, who am I missing? You, if those guys are transitioning the puck for you in a playoff series, you're fucked. I'm sorry. Now, what, what they can do is they can go out and get their number two center. You don't get Jacob Trickren because, by the way, Jacob Trickren is the only guy in my mind on defense where he is that big fish, right? Well, I don't think the Bruins are getting him because, number one, Arizona might not trade him because they, they might want him on campus next year. Um, and then uh, the other one is Jeff Petrie. Maybe they can get Jeff Petrie somehow. I know he's a righty. Maybe you can add him and still get that 2C that you still desire, and I desire too. Um, but I'm telling you right now, like, if this is their decor going to the playoffs, then then I don't care who their second center is because just like last year, they had David Krejci, a very good second-line center. We'd kill to have him on this team. They had him last year. This decor still wasn't good enough because they don't get the puck out of their zone enough when Charlie McAvoy's not on the ice. And when Grizzlick is with Carlo, he's too busy covering Carlo's ass that he can't be Matt Grizzlick. So, like, I think that if I have to choose one or the other, and by the way, they can get... They can get a defenseman that can impact them and still get help at forward some other way, but I just think they can survive on offense. You can't survive on defense, and that's just where I let. That's where I lie right now. Well, I would also point out that you know their defense fell apart in the second round last year because 
Carlo and Kevin Miller got hurt. Like they suffered. And again, I think no matter what this decor looks like, if you start some suffering two, three injuries, then yeah, any team is going to be screwed. But the reason Carlo getting hurt, the reason that hurt you last year is because he had been playing pretty well. And like you noticed him missing. So, you know, I, I'm not saying that I'm sold on this decor or that like, I think they're Stanley cup caliber right now. Uh, I'm saying, I think you have to, as we've said many times, like you've, you've got to choose because you're probably not doing both. And to me, I just think there is a room for internal improvement there on the back end. And I think you've basically kind of maxed out what you have offensively. Like, I, I don't think, you know, like, I don't think there's much more you can ask for from Eric Halla. I don't think Charlie Coyle has a whole lot more to get. Like, you know, like, I think everyone's kind of hitting their ceiling there. Except now, Nick, if you Foligno. Wanna... Nick Foligno. Nick Foligno has fucked him. And Jake DeBrusque also, who has... Uh, look, Scott, I, I know, like, Foligno's not very good. Like, because you made, you made a face. But the fact of the matter is, like, he was a 20-goal scorer his entire career up until about 24 months ago. So somewhere along the line, the guy forgot how to score goals, and it's and, and if he even chipped in ten for you this year, it's it, it's. I mean, he's got you one goal well, so far in February, and it's not looking like he's going to get two anytime soon. Yeah, I think Brian's he, a little angry. Yeah, because he's he's <sighs> slow. He's slowed down, and he's been injured, and he's old, and like that. Those he's things are old. He's thirty-four. Back. He's how old is he? Thirty-four years old. Yeah, who's played a really physical career? I mean, like like on. David Backus before him, like these. You know, unless you're Alex Ovechkin, these guys start to wear down at that point. What about Patrice and Bergeron? Fo- Patrice Bergeron has taken more, 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 more um, physical abuse than any of those guys. Because, like, oh, I don't, I don't know if I agree with that. I mean, Felino is, you know, he was flying into corners like he was banging everything. Scott, when, when was Nick Felino just talking, rookie? I don't just mean like him taking hits. I mean him throwing hits. Those, those take a toll too. They do, they do. But when was Nick Felino a rookie? Two thousand seven, two thousand eight, two thousand six, two thousand seven. Patrice, yeah, Ber- Patrice Bergeron has been has been in the NHL through different eras since two thousand since the fall of 03. and he's and he is still at a point per game pace. I'm not saying that's Felino. Um, Felino needs to give you more than a goal. Get, if he gives you five or ten, it's not that bad. Through 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 half a yeah. season, come on. I don't know. It's not I, I wouldn't be if, if the over under the rest of the year is one and a half. I might go on term like. I, Oh, this I, don't know. I just have very but, little. I have very little confidence and you, you, in, in, you, you can, figuring things out. You can second guess Sweeney for that for that signing all all you want. I mean, Scott, I I forget what your and Bridges' uh, opinion was when, when they first signed him. I didn't hate the deal, the signing. I thought I thought I thought it would be I thought it'd be a 10, 15 goal guy, veteran presence. If he's half of that, it's 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 better than what they've gotten from him. Like I'm I'm great as a good locker room guy. But he's not a good ice guy, <laughs> and that yeah. and and he. What I'm saying is, you say internal solutions at forward. He's like the only internal solution right now. Where it's like, if he just gave you something, there'd be something there. But um, it almost feels like though what Scott was saying that most of these guys hit their ceiling, and I really do feel like it's kind of this is what the ceiling is for him at this point in his career. And I agree with Scott that he has had a more physically taxing career because he just plays a more physical style of game. And that's the role he's been having to play. Whereas Bergeron obviously plays more of a first line role, skill role. Um, 
he, he hasn't taken quite as much punishment. I mean, Felino's been a fighter. Felino's been uh, asked to be a kind of a grinder. So it definitely has worn on him. And Bergeron's kind of a special case as well, where he's been in the league for a long time, but he just yeah. seems to be so resilient to all, all the stresses that have been put on him, playing through some crazy injuries and, and coming back from broken noses and broken ribs. And, you know, you name it. There's plenty of stories with him. And now a uh, a head a head cut or head laceration. Yeah, head laceration. Um, oh, by the way, should we give a little update on that? Because there were then there was some things Cassidy said, uh, and actually Bergeron himself spoke about it, and he said that the reason why it took him a few games to come back was because of the swelling. It wasn't because of a concussion, and that that wasn't um, something they were worried about. So it was just um, like being over precautious about the swelling around the laceration. Yeah, which. Ultimately, is good news because if it was a concussion, that would concern me a lot more. Again, as we touched on last week, you know, given his history, um, not that he's had any that we know of like recently, but you you never forget about what he dealt with earlier in his career. So anytime you know you start to talk about head injury with him, you get worried. Um, so the fact that it wasn't is is encouraging. You know, you can recover from a cut. To your point, like, just got to wait for the swelling to go down, wait for it to heal, and then, you know, once you can fit the helmet back on, you get out there. Um, but I think also, it's also encouraging as far as going forward, because I, if it, if it was a concussion, I would have been worried come the end of the season if Bergeron looks at it and says, you know what, I just, I kind of got away with that concussion, like, it didn't linger, I'm feeling okay. But, man, I don't want to take the chance of getting another one next year. Like, you know, time to call it a career. Like, I, I could have seen that becoming a factor in the decision that he'll ultimately have to make this offseason. So that it wasn't, you know, at least, like, he's not going to be sitting there in the offseason thinking, boy, you know, what if I get my head cut again? You know, like, that's such a rare kind of freak injury. So I think it also helps in that respect. And where it stands right now, we talked to Razor last week, and he seems pretty adamant that he thinks Bergeron's going to come back at least another season. This isn't like a decision, an imminent decision where he's definitely, you know, closer closer to retiring at the end of the season than some people think he is. So if Razor has any insider information on that, you know, he, he may, um, then you're right. But you're also correct in thinking that a concussion could make the decision uh, change the decision in, in a way, because that once you end up with these concussions, it, it changes, you know, you have to think about your family too, because these are things that if you're dealing with long-term uh, effects of a concussion, including effects to your mental health, that's, is something that your family has to deal with and, and you have to deal with down the line. So it's more of a serious decision to make at that point. Yeah. And, and also we know that Bergeron, you know, does take it seriously. Like he was, you know, back in the day, like he was one of the first guys to really kind of open up about like what he was going through and, you know, kind of speak out about like the need to, to take better care of, of basically players heads and player safety. Um, so, you know, so we know, like, it's also on his mind. Obviously, he's he's seen what Mark Savard, what happened to Mark Savard, and, you know, what his life was like after that. Uh, you know, 
I'm sure, I don't know how much, if he keeps in touch with like Tim Thomas at all, but he at least knows those stories of, uh, of what Tim Thomas dealt with after retiring. You know, he suffered a concussion his last season that really lingered. So he's, he's well aware of all that stuff. And I think it does, you know, it's part of the equation. Um, can we all agree that Jack Ashan should be playing instead of Connor Clifton at this point? Yeah, I don't Ashan care about the, or, or Vakanainen. Either one of them. I, 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 yeah. I understand the, the, the too many lefties issue that you would have. I don't care. Um, to your point, Scott, like there are there are internal solutions on defense. Yes, you put Jack Ashan, Matt Grizzlick in the same lineup. Yep, 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 yep. Small decor. It is what it is. Um, don't really and care. By the way, it might, might be a shot on his offside, which yeah. I, th- I think he's done a little bit. So, you know, it could end up being him on, like, the right side with forward on the, on the third pair or something. Now, if, if everybody's healthy, though, they'd have to make room for him on the on, on the roster, right? So that would that mean have, probably having to maybe wave Clifton or something? I don't know. I don't know what the, what the math would end up being on that or, you know, how they would try to maneuver that. Um, they have, I mean, they have carried eight defensemen in the past. So, uh, actually, you know, for a while they usually carried eight. So, you know, if you went with like the usual six in their lineup and then Vakanine into Sean, I mean, they could do that. So it's not totally out of the question. Uh, I, I think they have the cap room to do that. I, I'm not um, super up on where they are cap wise, but yeah, I mean, it, but those are contracts that aren't big contracts, right. the Sean and Vakanine contracts. So that doesn't seem like it would be super hard to maneuver. Yeah. The only play, you know, you might run into an issue if, as you get towards the trade deadline, you make a move and you're adding salary and, you know, now you might have an issue, but may, you know, who knows, maybe one of, maybe someone on, on your back end is, is a trade piece. I, you know, I don't know, but um, you know, I, th- I certainly think like someone like Vakanine or Sean would have, value in a deal so that comes to you know are you what are you dealing them for can you afford to give up one of them is it for an upgrade on the back end um so you know it's another way that that that, uh it would potentially resolve itself i mean did you did you see that play against the rangers when clifton clifton goes back uh in the left corner it just tries to retrieve a puck just totally gets gets a stick lifted doesn't even see like Pucks, yeah. pucks in your hand for two minutes. Like, what, like, is, what is that? Completely unaware that there was someone on him. The yeah. like, what is that? that? That's that's where it's like, look, it's those, it's those plays where you're sitting here and you're like, look, these are the 32 best hockey teams in the world. These are the six best defensemen in a given moment to be on these teams. That's not a play that where, where you're a top six defenseman on any team. That that's This kid has been struggling for quite some time, and I – I like him as a as a player. Like I, I, he cares. He has spunk. He had he has decent foot speed. He just for some reason just I don't know, man. This kid, this kid fell off the face, and uh, that sucks because I I like Clifton. I thought he was physical. Um, I thought he brought some energy, but he he just ha- he he's to me t- completely played himself out of this lineup, and you know injuries and whatnot will keep him in there, and, and but. I, I'm I am all for um, moving on from him at, at any point. Um, 
And he was yeah. he was available. He was made available he in was. the expansion draft by the Bruins, and they yeah. took Lozon instead. So Seattle took Lozon instead. So he he was somebody that they viewed even last year in the offseason as someone they could move on from. By the way, it kind of seems like I know he got hurt, but Seattle probably should have taken Zaboral. Like, look, looks like he's probably the one who has you know the best chance of like actually being a player at this point. Um, yeah, it, and Brian, you know, it also might be that maybe a few games as a healthy scratch is a good thing for Clifton. Like, we've seen that before, where guys, you know, watch a couple games and come back with a different mindset, a different approach. And Clifton's a guy who, who has had to battle for playing time his entire career. And, you know, it's almost like that's part of what I think makes this season disappointing is like he basically finally had a job that was his. Like, you know, I don't want to say it was handed to him. Like he did have to win it in camp and to his credit, he did. But like it was there for the taking and it, and he hasn't hasn't really run with it. Like, you know, you really would have hoped that he would take it and be like, yeah, this is my job. You're not taking from me the – you know, the right side of the defense is McAvoy, Carlo, and me. And that's it. You don't have to think about it. And, like, now, you know, we're talking about moving guys to their offside and if that presents an upgrade. And, you know, that's that's not great for Clifton. Like, that's because he's, he's opened that door and he's uh, allowed himself to be challenged. Well, he's got – I mean, look, th- th- this tells the whole story. Connor Clifton, 31 games played, one goal, one assist, minus six. I mean, that's that, that that tells the story right there. Two points minus six this year on a team that's, you know, pretty good defensively, you know? So, uh, and like I said, I like the kid, scrappy kid. Um, seems like a really nice kid when he when he speaks to the media and stuff like that. And uh, good story, too, out of Quinnipiac. But it's just, he's just not doing, he, he's not helping him with hockey games, quite frankly. And that's 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 the name of the game. Um, so there I were, feel like we, we spent a lot of time on the defense this episode, Uh, but there were other things that I wanted to talk about from the Rangers game. And I think one of the main ones that we'll spend some time on is Swayman's play in the last two games uh, because he saved 63 out of the last 64 shots he's faced. Those are great numbers. Um, And he looks confident again. He had that game against Pittsburgh that was not good, Um, but now he seems to have settled back in um, and it it seems like kind of just gone back to where he was, where we, where we thought he was before Tuka came in and he got sent down to Providence. So uh, he looked good on a few of the shootout shots. Uh, we haven't had a chance to talk about that yet. Cause that was kind of crazy. Um, and a lot of the guys reiterated after the game that they felt that Swayman played good enough for them to have gotten the two points, which, you know, it'd be hard to disagree with. So, and that they play comfortably in front of them. They feel confident in front of them. And Coyle even said, uh, he has this quiet confidence where, you know, he's settled in, but he, he doesn't have to, you know, be, he doesn't have to vocalize it or or, share, or show it in just with his body language and whatnot. He has this confidence about himself. Um, I thought that he showed that the last two games. Yeah, and, you know, I think maybe, like, having the clarity of, all right, I'm here, I'm not going back down, like, I'm part of, I'm part of the tandem, and this is now, you know, settled, this is my home for the rest of the season. That probably helps to an extent – 
he also said that, you know, that there were things that he worked on in Providence that he thinks helped him. He felt like he could make saves uh, that he wasn't making, you know, a month ago. So, you know, I think just it's his continued development. And like I said, now like that, just, just knowing like where you are and just knowing that at worst, you're probably going to get, you know, 50% of the starts the rest of the way. Like they seem to more or less alternate, you know, if one of them gets hot, they get back-to-back starts, but like Swayman's been hot and Allmark's still going to get his start on Thursday. And, you know, then they'll decide from there. So both are going to play. And I, and I did, I, I think it was important. It was important for Swayman, you know, to bounce back from pit, that Pittsburgh game and sort of reestablish himself as like, yeah, the, this, not only am I back here because Tuka retired, but I belong here. I deserve to be back here. And I also think it's it's important for the Bruins to to know that they can have confidence in, in both goals because there were times in the first half of the season where one or both was inconsistent and it wasn't – they never really got both of them going at the same time. Maybe a, a very little bit leading up to the COVID pause. Um, but then, you know, I've pointed this, this out a couple of times, but even that stretch that Elmark went on in January where his, you know, whatever, was 9-1-1, and one, like – he had quite a few games in there where he gave up three or four goals and won anyways because the offense was just on fire at that point. So, yeah, I think it's also good for the team to now start to get that confidence that, like, okay, we we have goalies, or in this case, you know, a goalie referring to Swayman, who can steal us a game or or keep us in, you know, a close game where our, our offense only manages a goal or two. Um, you know, two goals in Ottawa, they come with the win in large part because of Swayman. Uh, they only score once in New York and they still get a point because of Swayman. So to like, to be able to now have that confidence that we have a chance, even if the offense isn't really clicking is, it, you know, it's what any contender needs. One of the reasons why we always end up talking about the goaltending on the back half of our podcast is because that hasn't been one of their key concerns. And then we spend, you know, time talking about, you know, having to, fill these roles at center and D um, at the trade deadline, but, but you really don't have as much to be concerned about with Swayman and Allmark at this point, at least um, I, they both have shown improvement throughout the season. And I think that, you know, generally the team's comfortable playing in front of either of them and I, goalie coaches, you know, Bruce Cassidy, they're all comfortable with both of them splitting time. Yeah, they're so comfortable playing in front of them that they don't even try a move in a shootout. They just go down and do a little, do a little stick tap to the Shesterkin. That, that was the most uninspired uh, group of shootouts we've ever seen. I don't think one well, guy got a deacon. Any, yeah, anytime you're facing the best goal in the NHL, what you really want to do is not even force <laughs> them to move. So. <laughs> well, yeah, the Pasternak, the Pasternak chance was slow and, and, well, they all, they and you know. The same thing. They, they, all, they all came in with, this, as, as Jack Edwards calls it, the serpentine route. Right, and, mm-hmm. and they go nice and slow, and they try to they try to find the five hole or something or, or stick side low, and it's like, guys, come on, look, you want a couple of you guys want to do that? Fine, nine shooters, not one deke. Now, DeBrusque came in, knew what he wanted to do, but he came in with speed, though. That's the difference. Yeah, I, I was just gonna say, like DeBrusque, the first shooter, comes in with speed and scores, and then like, mate, Hall had a little bit of speed on his attempt. Like other than that, it's like. No one else looked at that and was like, 
hey, maybe I should come in with speed. Everyone else kind of like waddles in, you know, taking their sweet ass time. And it's like, yeah. Well, I well mean, Coyle, uh, at least Coyle was able to be effective on his, like he yeah. saved that shootout. He's, he's what made that shootout uh, go the that length was, and, and be one of the more entertaining shootouts that was silky. Uh, because that was nice he move. was able to just pick his corner and, and hit it with accuracy. But you're right. There was some, I mean, the Howla uh, shot. I mean, come I, on. I just, I, mean, I don't Craig, know. Uh, Craig Smith. was slow. Craig Smith Trent, is out Trent there. Trent Frederick. Like. Trent Fre- well, look, hey, oh. hey, 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 hey. Who was expecting anything more? How about, how about, how about well, Craig Smith well, You know what's in? funny is, like, Cassidy said after the game that, you know, because he was asked about, like, the order and whatever, and he said, like, you know, part of it is how they've been doing in practice because – Believe it or not, you wouldn't know it from watching that, but they do actually practice shootouts. Usually, well, and they least, practiced it this morning. So. Yeah, usually at least once a week they do that at the end of practice. And I guess like Frederick had been hot in practice, and I'm like, oh, with what moves? Like, <laughs> was was he shooting on on one of the like the dummy goalies where the five holes always open? Like, what? guys, guys, Craig Smith comes down. Okay, head down. I love Craig Smith despite his slump. Head down. Chopping broccoli, chopping lettuce, stick stick in on the ice. Takes a wrist shot from the top of the circle and it comes to a complete stop. Like, what? <laughs> what is this? What are you, Team Iceland and the Mighty Ducks? <laughs> Guys, that was some of the, that was some of the worst. I thought it couldn't get any worse in shootouts for teams I was rooting for until about one thirty in the morning when I was watching the U.S. against Slovakia. But between those two I knew teams, it was coming. I knew it was coming. Well. My goodness, I mean, I, honestly, that was uh, that was that was tough. I don't know if we want to get to it right now. I, I did want to I do want to ask you one more thing about um about the Bruins forwards, um because despite how hot he was is in practice at, at shootouts, Trent Frederick uh, has looked good, and he and Coyle and Smith do seem to be jiving. You know, oftentimes it, I bring something to a line, you bring something to a line, I bring something to a line, and it's it's a nice little it's a nice little meal. But does that maybe uh, entice Don Sweeney to maybe, all right, we got to find out what we're doing with Jake here. Is he is he going to be here long-term or no? Because we got to start to shake out our lines down the stretch here once Burr's run and Martian come back. Brian, I love that you brought this up because guess what my story for Thursday morning on WEI.com is about? All right, what's the title, Scott? Well, it, it's about this line in, in particular and how Cassidy clearly likes this line, but they're not going to be able to keep it together. Like once they can keep it together for now, because you're going to put Bergeron between Hall and Boston. keep Frederick Coyle Smith together. And then Hall goes down to a line with DeBrusque and Felino. But once Martian comes back, Smith has to go back to the top line. Uh, there's really, there's no other, op- like there's no other right wing right now who can play in the top six. Hey, Nick Foligno. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you, you could be like, well, because we know, you know, Bergeron was a big part of recruiting Felino here. You could be like, here you go, Bergy. Yeah. You wanted him. You wanted him. <laughs> That'd be a slow line. I don't think it's uh, particularly the time to make a Ber- lesson out of it. <laughs> Ber- Bergeron might retire right then. Yeah. And then make it to the end of the year. Oh, God. Well, in my, my thoughts on watching that uh, Frederick Coyle Smith line play was that that line brought something that the Bruins hadn't really gotten consistently out of a line all year, which was they, it's a, it's a heavy physical line. They win board battles, they take pucks away and it's temporary, 
but that's what they were looking for. For at least one line, they needed to do that effectively and, and be able to send that line as a matchup line against other teams where they're trying to outmuscle them. And that line did that. And on the goal that Coyle had, first of all, he made like three plays in that sequence to set up the goal. He, he had three really good plays. But Smith takes the shot. Coyle puts in the rebound and Frederick crashing the net definitely confused Shesterkin just a little bit. So I thought that they were effective offensively and physically. Yeah. And they've, they've been able to set the, like they've gotten the, the first shift each of the last two games and kind of come out flying, banging bodies. Like they've definitely been able to set the tone and, you know, uh, any, you know, getting offense, obviously it's, great like that they've they've scored each of the last two games um you know i don't i'm not sold on like trent frederick being a long-term solution on the third line but he's clicking there for now so you know ride it for these next few games uh you know i almost like i kind of i don't think this is what cassie was doing but I, it almost felt like he was sending like a sneaky sort of message to sweeney when he made a comment that like you know, this is a line that can do a little bit of everything. And, uh, you know, to me, that's a really n- nice looking third line. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, well, part of the problem with that is that one of the guys on that would be third line. Craig Smith needs to be in your top six because you don't have enough other top six forwards. So, um, you know, it's, isn't like they signed Smith initially to be a third liner. Yeah. That was the intended role for him. And because other guys haven't gotten the job done, they've just they've never been able to keep him there. He's he's had to play up in the lineup, and for the most part, has has done well. Now, you know, as we mentioned, like he's had he's been in a bit of a season long slump this year, and you know, I still think he he could get going. He certainly has had chances and not been able to bury them. Uh, but yeah, I mean, until until or unless you get like another top six upgrade somewhere. He's he has to be on one of those top two lines. Like you can't can't afford to have him down the third line. Well, the the irony of him going to the top line is because, like you said, he along with other depth forwards weren't providing that secondary scoring. So therefore, the Bruins you had to split up that top line, and that was the result was him getting a promotion. But um, yes, I agree with that wholeheartedly. The problem with Trent Frederick about not being a long-term third liner, like you said, Scott, ideally, is that, well, if it's not third line, it's certainly not first or second. And the way that their fourth line's playing, I don't I don't love the way he fits in that. F- He's okay. But I think we all can agree that Lazar, Nosek, and Bleed have something going. And they're starting to find that identity. Nick Foligno doesn't fit with them. Oscar Steen, you know, probably shouldn't. Trent Frederick could. The question becomes, you know, do you like Nosek Lazar and um, bleed, bleed, or or Frederick for probably bleed? Um, and I think that they like they like the way that fourth line is looking right now, and uh, so that's also why Frederick, you know, um, it, it's kind of like he, it, it, yeah. What, what what do you do with them? Because you can't you can't well, put them up in the lineup. You can't put them you can put them down, but is what's the better fourth line? So that third line is probably what they're hoping for for him, but I don't know if that's optimal. 
And Frederick has been someone on this team last year and this year that hasn't played for too long with the same group of guys. So he's on this third, this, I guess you could call it third line, but it was the second line uh, for the Rangers game. He's on the slide with Coyle and Smith. And then I don't, I, in the past, haven't really liked the way he's fit in with Hala and Felino when that was um, a line and Bleed's been playing with a, a lot of um, intensity with Nosek and Lazar. I definitely don't think the fourth line has been the problem. Um, so he's he's kind of the victim of the fact that the Bruins have these pieces that they don't necessarily know what to do with, especially their younger pieces, um, trying to find a way for them to fit into the lineup. But it just seems to be a constant rotation for him. And and, and Scott, real quick, there, there was Frederick's goal in Detroit. Correct me if I'm wrong. And maybe it was a line change, but wasn't it Craig Smith who got the primary assist, I believe, on Trent Frederick's goal in Detroit when he was crashing that. It was a, it was in transition. It was like Riley to Smith or Smith to Riley to Frederick on the rebound. It was something like that. So there could be some something there with Smith and, and, and Frederick. I don't know. It's I'm just going with what yeah, I've seen. Two Wisconsin Badgers. That, that, that's go. what's going on there. <laughs> that's it. Um, yeah, that, that sounds right. And look, I think Frederick can work on a third line if – the other two guys can drive enough offense that like his role is basically going on four check, bang bodies, get to the front of the net. And he doesn't have to, you know, be one of the guys like driving transition and, and creating chances. And if it's Coyle and Smithy's playing with, I think that can work because like, those two guys can do that. I what worries me do, is I, I hate to break the point apart, but it was Frederick assisted by Riley and Nosek. <laughs> Frederick assisted okay. by Riley. Yeah, but I think I think Craig Smith. I think he one touched a pass to Riley or something. There was he was involved in it somehow. I remember him being there. But in any in any event, in any event. Yeah, no, the yeah. point still stands. Yeah. I just I just yeah. looked it up. So, so, so what Smith. worries me is you know when Smith inevitably goes back to the top line. Okay, you can keep Frederick and Coyle together. Now who's on on their right? Like Nick Foligno, unless he's a healthy scratch. Is probably the guy who's going there, and I don't trust him to create enough offense with those two. So now you're kind of saddling and coil with two wings that I just don't, you know, I don't think that line's going to be able to create enough chances. Um, you know, Oscar Steen went back to Providence, had cooled down a bit before going down. I don't know. You know, maybe he's found his game. Maybe he gets another chance. Uh, Jake DeBrusque is still here for now. That That was one uh, that would be one option potentially. Like if you kept Smith on the third line, flip to Brusque to right wing and put him with Bergeron and Marchand. Um, Cassidy did that a little bit last year. I think it only lasted a couple games. And then DeBrusque either got hurt or got COVID. And that was the end of that. Is this um, going to be your next column after some, no, some but, point this week? No, but I, I mentioned it in, in the thing I'll have Thursday morning. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, but there's, there's just no ideal solution. Like, like you, you got to prioritize your top line over your third, and the best option, as long as Hall and Pasternak are staying together, the best option for your top line is going to be putting Smith with Bergeron and Marchand. So yeah. then that creates an opening on the third line where it's all right now, you know you don't have another Craig Smith to plug in there. So who's who's helping that line go? Yeah, and I don't it, have a yeah. problem with plugging it in for a game though. I, I don't have a problem with that. Just one game trial. I, I don't see a problem with that at this point. 
what Nebraska on the top line? Yeah, I don't see a problem with that. Just trying it for one game well, at this point in the season. It's 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 problematic if if you're planning on trading them uh, in 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 the coming days, weeks. There's, yeah, because there's no point in gaining any chemistry there. I mean, I I get I guess I guess you could up his I value. Really, you could I, up his value I'm under the, as well. Sorry, Brian. I'm under the impression that he's not leaving at the deadline. That's just kind of how I felt about it after Sweeney's press conference uh, a while back when he announced or when his agent put out there that he wanted a, a trade. Um, I just feel like he's more of an end of the season trade. And if that's well, end of the, the plan, season, they'll just, they'll just let him walk. Like he's just, yeah. they're, they're just not going to qualify him. And yeah. So either way, my point is that you it doesn't hurt the chemistry because i don't think he's getting traded so if it works you know maybe it works if it doesn't whatever try it uh try it if you really like what this line's looking like with frederick coyle and smith or even if you don't like even if you don't want to prioritize that third line looking good together it's worth a shot i i I don't see why it's not a huge deal to try it and just pick a game in the schedule where it makes sense. Not one of your bigger, um, it, like opponents or divisional opponents that you're, um, that you have a big matchup against. So I'm trying to look at the schedule coming up. Now they play Ottawa again, you know, maybe try it in a game like that. You're obviously not yeah. going to try it against yeah. Colorado or, uh, you know, well, Martian, kind of Martian's not Mar- back anyway. Yeah, Martian's first game back is scheduled to be at Seattle, so maybe that could be it. Seattle's not a very yeah. good yeah, yeah, exactly. Seattle, yeah, that would be better. That would be a good one. Um, out at Seattle. Ulti- um, ultimately, guys, like between between DeBrusque and, and and Frederick and and uh, Craig Smith and Felino and Oscar Steen, there's so many moving parts that like we just don't know. Like some of these guys could be dealt at the deadline. Some of these guys, we some of these could be brought in. We don't really know. So, I I think. I think the if we were to sculpt like playoff lines, I, I don't even think right now we're looking at anything really close to what we ha- would have for options in a, in a in a month and a half from now. I think things are gonna, things are going to change whether it's to breast being traded or not being traded or this like. So I think we're kind of putting ourselves in a mental pretzel with this stuff sometimes too. By the way, just wanted to wrap up by noting that Debrusque is back into one of his patented cold spells here, where he has no points in the last five games and two goals in the last 20. So that's not helping anyone, not helping the Bruins, not helping his trade value. No, so. but then, but then, it, but no, you watch him in overtime against the Rangers and he's out there coasting when he has, again, so much speed and he's just coasting. It's like, dude, how many times is McAvoy going to retreat for you to get, to get going and he doesn't do it. And then in, in the shootout fucking kid comes down and, and it's like lights out. It's like, dude, again, I've said it. I've said it before. Jake DeBrusque is probably the best player in the NHL when there's nobody else on the ice. All right. So there, I did want to touch briefly on 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 the USA game last night. Um, I know it's not the Bruins, but that game last night, Scott and Bridget. Because I know I know Scott was watching. He fell asleep, Bridget. I don't know if you were in bed, but. I I watched it this morning on okay. recording because I had a broadcast yesterday and. So, yeah, the frustration came from me this morning, trying to avoid Brian's tweets um, because he had some <laughs> opinions about it last night. Well, look, I, I uh, David, David Quinn, USA coach, coach at BU, coach the Rangers, handsome devil, um, had me pulling my hair out. Absolutely pulling my hair out because 
there there are certain times where I'm watching a game and I and I know I know how it's going to end before it does. And when the, when the, when Team USA is up 2-1 in that game in the third period, they get gifted a power well not gifted. They get a power play. And then 25 seconds later they get a 5 on 3. Okay. Yeah, that delay game call was a little bit questionable. They call Team USA calls a timeout. I say Quinn, Quinster, great job. You recognized, you have recognized in this juncture in the game, you can put this team away with a five on three goal and maybe a five on four goal to boot. Put this game out of reach, three to one. Put this game out of reach, 12, 15, whatever minutes to go. I said to myself, <laughs> then they come out of timeout and who's on the ice? Not Beniers. Not Nyes, not Faber, not uh. What, what's the kid from Harvard? Um, Abrazzelli. Abrazzelli and Abrazzizi, yeah. Abrazzizi, no, not not Farrell. Abrazzizi, because Farrell was on the ice. So Abrazzizi, these kids, they're all on the bench. It's a five on three. Who's on the ice? Kenny Agostino, Matt Miley, um, yeah. Andy Andy Mealy. that's my point that's my point great stories but these guys are minor leaguers they're they're if you're if you're a north american and you're playing overseas in europe or in russia it's because you're not good enough to have a a a a, a consistent role in the national hockey league anymore meanwhile you have the second and those guys haven't been in the NHL for for a bit. No. Like it's not just like recent. And that, look, that's the, been they're fine players, Bridget. But like you have an opportunity to, to, to ice the game. If you're Quinn, all you got to do is score a goal on a five on three. Ask yourself this one question: Who gives us the best chance to score a goal out here? A five on three featuring Beniers, Nyes, maybe Faber and uh, Abazelli, whatever his name is. Abazizi. Abazizi. And maybe fine, fine. Maybe Camper. No, let's put out. Let's put out Aaron Ness. Let's put out. Let's put out the 2017 Providence Bruins, guys. The second I saw that personnel, I said, I said they're not going to score in this power play, and they're going to end up losing the game, because when you have a five on three, and you say to yourself, ah, I don't think they're going to score on this. Let me tell you something. You got the wrong people on the ice. You should never think wasn't that. It, wasn't it about like a minute fifteen of five on three? Was it was a, it was a decent amount of time, and then all of a sudden, before you knew it, it was it was over with. It was like it was almost oh, that, a full that flew by. It was almost a full five on three with no pressure, no shots on goal, nothing serious, no rhythm, no chemistry, no nothing. They ice the puck, and then they throw Beniers out with ten seconds left in the five on three. Next thing you know, that's done. It's five. Guys, I was like, this 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 team is gonna they're gonna lose because they didn't score. And then, of course, they get a power play later in the game. Does Quinn learn his, learn his lesson? Nope. Let's put out the same well, five guys. And then they end up scoring on the, on, on the empty net because when you have a group of guys that have been together for a week and a half and it's a five on six-on-five five situation, let's be honest. You're going to get scored on. You don't have the chemistry. The Slovaks had a ton of size. And then they lose in the shootout because they don't put Baneers in the shootout. Not that he would have won, but let me tell you something. You get five Where guys to put in a shootout. Where is when you need him? You get five guys to put in a shootout, and you don't put the second overall pick in this past year's draft, who, by the way, did everything in that game besides win it for you. 
and maybe if you gave him the chance to a new shootout, you could have extended the playoffs. Uh, guys, I knew they I knew they were fucked because, like I, I said, I had to watch it this morning on recording. I knew they were fucked when I saw how long the recording was. Like knowing in like up until late in the third period that it was tied. I mean that it was two to one. I'm like, well, this clearly goes beyond regulation because it's extended i'm like this gotta this is gonna end in a shootout um unfortunately that's what happens when you record it and even if you avoid twitter you kind of have an idea i'm like well at what point are we gonna see this goal that ties it and and you know once once you have that five on three that's not even the only part that i knew that they were screwed they have the five on three they have the power play. They can't. They can't score. It was bad personnel. That last shift where they got scored on. Originally, the guys that were out there were playing good D, but they got they they couldn't clear it and they got absolutely worn out. And as soon as it got to like a minute on that shift, I was like, "Oh, this is this is where the game tying goal comes in." I, I guarantee it. And then. 46 seconds or whatever it is like oh yeah there it is so you, you put the right you know, guys you on saw, the ice. see it coming from a mile away on that and my, my tweets didn't help i'm sure but you put i'm telling you if if nyes and veneers if those guys are on the ice in that five on three i guarantee the pucks in that net in, within 30 seconds come on the game shouldn't even have been where it was it's a joke what a what the, a, what was second, yeah, thinking the, the second power play was even more concerning because the so the shootout like I just don't know enough about Beniers as far as like, is he good in shootouts? He's better is than it, Miley. Is it a weakness? Like, I, I don't know. <laughs> I haven't I haven't watched enough Please. Michigan games or anything uh, to know if he's good in shootouts. So, you know, that I don't question as much. Even the five on three, I was thinking like, so I had to watch the third period this morning as well because I fell asleep second intermission. Um, Captivating game. But. <laughs> took a dad nap yeah even but, though he's not a dad well i i did the thing where like you're like i'm gonna go lay in bed and you know however much i stay up for i stay up for and i stayed up for a grand total of zero seconds of the third period i was out as soon as i lay down but um but you know i thought like the five on three i was like oh well maybe you know whatever i guess this is like you know the unit they've practiced this with or which hey you can you can say that's a mistake in its own right but if that's what they've practiced with and they like the looks they got on five on threes, then I I would understand. But Brian, to your point, it's like, it didn't look like they had chemistry. <laughs> it didn't, you know, it didn't look like they practiced much. So yeah. Why would you come back with that then on the next power? Play? Like that's something that, that like, that's actually where I would be the most critical is like, why, why did you basically just run back the same group instead of, trying different guys with more skill who might be able to make something happen. I I cannot stand when a coach, when a team loses a game because coaches refuse to put their best players in certain situations when it matters most. Like, you cannot tell me a world that we live in, apparently, I guess this besides this one, where, God love him, Kenny Agostino should be on the ice in a five-on-three situation over Maddie Beneers. Guys, it should never happen. Ever. Ever, ever. Guys, we're talking about a future NHL star. The kid is filthy. And Kenny Agostino is a 31, two-year-old journeyman who I like the kid. He played for the Bruins. I know, I, I, I'm familiar with them. M- M- Miley, uh, who, uh, Ness, 
Camper. You, you refuse to say a few of these guys' names, right? <laughs> to be, well, it's a short tournament. I mean, I'm, I'm surprised. Miley Cyrus. Miley. Uh, <laughs> <you laughs> look, look. My it was a short tournament. I tried my best with the names, but my point is, I I know they shouldn't have been on the ice. The fact if David Quinn had, how do you even put those those combination of players together in a practice in a short tournament? How how do you have that talent on the bench? And and you know what? It's not just the U.S. You know who else did it? Claude Julien on Team Canada, Kent Johnson, Owen Power. Those guys are on the bench too for a five-on-three against the U.S. Because, because why? Because you got to put these guys that, that nobody's ever heard of because they haven't played in the NHL on the power play. Because, I yeah. like the dedication of Brian to, to go the full pronunciation of Claude Julien. Thank though. you. Appreciate it. Yeah. Also, cannot for the life of me understand why Claude Julien kept running out two crappy journeyman goalies when he had – Devon Levi, who did not play a single minute in the Olympics and might win the Hobie Baker this year in Northeastern, well, has been excellent, was excellent in World Juniors last year. Like, you know, I, I was like, we really only care and focus on the U.S., but that was just absolutely yeah. baffling. Hey, Scotty, Team before. Canada did your Terriers a solid uh, in the bean pot because uh, – Yeah, they, they took Levi and the, didn't play him. Yeah, exactly. They took well, and, him away from the bean pot and, and the two, you know, the, the Terriers, BU beats Northeastern. So, yeah. And the, the two, uh, yeah. And yeah, a couple Although of. Although Northeastern got too. great goaltending, though. Yeah, no, they both did. Yeah. Both goalies were, both backup goalies had to come in and play because both the starting goalies were in the Olympics and they both played really well. Hence the score, one to nothing final with a goal coming really late in the game from someone that. It was not expected to score in that game. So, but like I said, they they did you a solid, Scotty. And uh, to head away from the men's side of things, I don't know what time we're posting this, but the women's gold medal match is on fairly soon. It's on. We're we're recording this Wednesday at we're at this point seven forty, uh, and that game's coming up at eleven ten for the gold medal against Canada. And I am more interested in that. That's going to be a phenomenal Way more interesting. Yeah. Like, it's that's the actual actual best players in the world. Yeah. And U.S. Canon women's hockey is one of the best rivalries in all of sports, period. Like, they've had so many great battles over the years, so many great gold medal games at at both the Olympics and World Championships. It's just, yeah. You know, there's really no point in us previewing it because most people probably will be listening to this after the fact. But – yeah, very excited to watch it. And I'm convinced that that the U.S. and Canada women, they actually both both of those teams have a lot of depth in the NCAA Division One uh, women's hockey. That they could have pulled a different group of women and and still been a very competitive matchup. Because I'm uh, I broadcast college hockey. I've been doing the Yale women's games the whole year, and there's plenty of women on those top ten teams in the country that could could have come in and played and and there's even a few russian players that could have been selected to the roc team there's a lot of depth um with women's college hockey these days um so i'll I'll be excited because it's just gonna it's gonna be the same thing next olympics in four years is these women who are playing college hockey now are are gonna you know move on up and, and get a chance to play next season so i mean next olympics i, I think it's going to be just just as good next next in four years from now by the way one 
since we got to women's hockey, one of the absolute dumbest takes I've seen recently was a Toronto Star column saying that women's hockey shouldn't be in the Olympics because it's just always the U.S. and Canada, which is like, I don't know how many of these other Olympic events you watch, but like almost every sport, it's the same two or three countries, like every, every. Yeah, Russia with figure skating and like you just, just think about even in the summer Olympics, it's. I think Germany won like every slide, like they won like the first five or six sliding events, like on like the luge, skeleton, bobsled. It's like, okay, I don't see anyone calling for those to be banned. Like cross country skiing is always Norway or Russia. Who, and this uh, is anyways, coming from Toronto. This is coming very, from a newspaper yeah. in Toronto where hockey is like, why do you want to watch less hockey? Come on, let's watch more. Scott, so. Scott who uh, who wrote that article? Uh, I don't know. I forget. I forget her name, but not not really worth the attention, anyways. So. But all right. All right. yeah, but and like the premise was like you know because no one can compete with the U.S. and Canada, or whatever. And it's like that's first so off, like even even that's not really accurate. Finland took the U.S. to overtime in one of the recent world championships and actually scored a winning goal that ended up getting waved off. Yeah, that was a really controversial call. And if yeah. you follow women's hockey, you know that, that you know about but, that. Because even Finland still think, like, they still... They, they still yeah, they act that, like they won, yeah. Yeah, they consider that as a, as a win to this day, so... Um, but also, like, because, like, I was thinking of it when you mentioned college hockey, because, like, there's a lot more international players in college hockey... Uh, women's college hockey now which is going to be great for the game in general because it's like college hockey has been the best um you know sort of pre like amateur level for it's been the best development path for women's hockey and getting more international players is going to make all those teams better like it just yeah it's it's going to take a while like it does in any sport but all right well um I'm all set, guys. If you guys are good, anything else? I'm good. I'm good. I gotta eat. Brian, you're hangry. I'm hungry. Scott, I don't know if you ate yet, but Look, I, I Bridget, ate before. Bridget, yeah, I ate the I ate the old man early bird special. I'm not. So. I'm not oh, ha- good. I'm, I'm, I'm not sure hangry. there was a discount on that. <laughs> I'm not hangry, but just hope that David Quinn doesn't pass me in the streets anytime soon. I'm not happy with him. I hope I'm for the record, I, I I just want to get on record that I still like David Quinn. Good guy. Always hey, hey, hey. Always great, got along with him. Hey, great guy. I wonder why. Great guy. Great guy. Not the best power play specialist. Um, yeah, I'm hangry. I gotta go. We gotta go. Um one what? last thing. Turn tune in Sunday, eleven AM. First episode of Sunday Skate. Oh, we forgot to plug that earlier. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> All right. Thanks for listening.